Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. Brian, how's your little visit going? My little visit? Which visit? You have people visiting you? They are arriving today. Ah, okay. Yes. So my sister just checked out of the Madonna Inn. Whoa. Oh, that's the one with like the cool rooms, right? That's the one with the like caveman room and the the, the Valentine's room and the Jetsons room or whatever. Yes. I've always wanted to stay. It's somewhere. It's like, like San Luis Obispo, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to go. Me too. Supposed to be rad. I've not heard her assessment yet, but I'm sure it's amazing. I just loved themed stuff, you know? Yep. You know, you can find the specific room you want and book that. And some rooms, like, get booked years in advance and stuff. Whoa. I'm so curious what the most in-demand room is. I think the caveman room is way up there, (laughs) I believe. Yeah, it seems like it. There's some truly terrifying rooms. Yeah? Let's see if I can find... The ones I'm talking about. (laughs) One is just called Bridal Falls. Yeah. It's like, hey, are you planning to murder your wife? Okay, go to the Madonna Inn website. MadonnaInn.com slash view rooms. The love nest is horrifying. Luxury suites. American home. Just reminds me of on the office where uh, Dwight has themed rooms. The bed and breakfast, yes. Yeah. Oh, I love a spiral staircase. Yep. Are you looking at the love nest? Uh, yeah. I love a carpeted spiral staircase. Spiral staircases are amazing. My grandmother had one in her house. And exactly that like old, like kind of wrought iron looking thing. Oh yeah. The kind where it's like one wrong move and you're fucked. Yes, exactly that. And it was the best. It was a great way to hurt ourselves as children. I just want to feel like I live in a lighthouse, you know? Yep. It's a very efficient way to get like straight up somewhere. Yeah. Look at the American beauty room. Under King Standard. American Beauty. Does it just have a fucking thing in the ceiling that releases rose petals intermittently? <laughs> I would hope so. And the picture of Kevin Spacey on the wall, leering. Yeah. That was my favorite movie at one point. Was it really? Because I watched it when I was 16 and in a film class. And I was like, yo, that's so cool. When you're naive, it appears deep. Yes, absolutely. Also, there's, you know, just sudden violence and stuff. And I think I already had the bloodthirst by then. I just didn't know it. (laughs) Look at the pick and shovel room. It's all the way down at the bottom. Brian, I keep repeatedly closing this tab. (laughs) You're really putting a lot of strain on me navigating here. (laughs) Some of these seem like pretty loose interpretations of themes. Yeah, you think? Well, that tile. It's like the tile my grandparents had in their old house. Harvard Square right next to it is pretty nuts, too. Yeah? And as far as I can tell, it has nothing to do with Harvard Square. Oh, of course not. 
Okay. If you ran the Madonna in, what kind of themed room would you want? Oh, well, I'd go for a lot of like cyber futurism. Oh, that's fun. The cyber hotel. Yeah, like a Blade Runner room or... Only neon lights. Like a Voltron room. Yes. The Voltron room is a set of rooms. That's right. It's five rooms. That connect. Yeah, exactly. What else? Definitely, probably maybe like a hospital room. (laughs) You get a hospital bed and an IV drip of just straight morphine. Yep. Probably like some UFO shit. Mm. Like there'd be a room that was like inside a UFO. I'm pretty sure like alien motels exist. Definitely in like Roswell. Let me look this up. That's basically the moon as far as I can tell. Oh my God. These are so cool. Oh, and of course the clown motel. Can't forget the clown motel. Oh yes. The clown motel. The truly horrifying clown motel. Yeah. I feel like it would be mandatory for me to do some horror rooms. Yeah. Like a saw room where you check in, they knock you out and then you wake up. (laughs) Chained to the bed. Yeah. 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 Totally. And the key to get to your handcuffs is like just out of reach. Yeah. Or in your stomach, either way. Yeah. Um, it's about the experience. It would be five-star rated, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Bed and breakfast situation, you're still chained there. They come in and they slide like a metal tray of gruel to you. And it's like $200 just for the meal, you know? You know what this should be? I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but I feel like McManey Manor should make a B&B. McKamey. McKamey, thank you. Yes. There have been like no updates on the McKamey Manor situation because I think he got closed down again. Yeah, good. Yeah, but that dude would run the scariest bed and breakfast of all time. It'd be horrifying. Can you imagine going to sleep? Oh, yeah. No, (sighs) no, thank you. My dad and I used to go stay at the like resorts at Universal in Florida because your room key is automatically a fast pass, which is pretty tight. I don't know if they still do that. But like the format for every single one of those rides, like we're going on a normal tour. Uh-oh, something's gone wrong. <laughs> yes, right. But I think that the rooms should be that way. Like you lay in bed at night and then it's like, welcome to your hotel suite. And then the floor drops out. Yeah, it's just like a normal looking hotel room that then something really fucked up happens with. Yeah, totally. And there's like pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. When you're on those kind of rides, do you get the irrational terror that you're going to be burned alive while you're strapped in because well, of faulty pyrotechnics? I can't do those kind of rides. Because I get too motion sick. Interesting. We definitely specked out in different directions on motion sickness. How so? Like mine's video games. I love rides. I don't get motion sick on rides. Like I love roller coasters. I love any kind of, you know, dark ride. Like theme parks are great. But you get video game motion sickness? We have talked about this many times. I have really severe motion sickness for most video games. And it's made my life as a game developer highly difficult. Yeah. Tank controls are the worst for me. I get that occasionally. When I was playing Portal 2, I got some pretty severe... Portal 2 is a bad one for motion sickness. So (laughs) is Katamari Damashi, which is one of my favorite games. And that was the first time I was just about to finish it. I was on the last like level or whatever. And I was like, oh no, I feel sick. And then from then on out, I've just been fucked up. Yeah. Well, that's why you got to play all text adventures, baby. That's the way to go. Yeah. Man, I love Portal 2. It's great. I feel such affection for that game. It's so well written and uh, all the underground stuff, the puzzle loop on that can get kind of annoying because it's like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? There's some really hard rooms there. Yeah. And I love that game. I've replayed it so many times. And I think if I attempted now, I would just immediately vomit. Yeah. Just Ellen McLean. There's a really fun bit in Cyberpunk 2077 where it's this quest where you have to round up like rogue AI taxis. It's one of like the only good quests in the game, Uh but each one has a different shtick. Like there's one that's just really mad. And there's one, I think the name for that particular one is like Silence of the Flamingos. And it's like a 
you know, mm-hmm. you got to go shoot flamingo statues in people's yards. Mm-hmm. Have the flamingos stopped screaming? But one of them is like a GLaDOS. I'm pretty sure it's Ellen McLean. But <laughs> she leads you into just a den where people start shooting at you. <laughs> She's the best. Still Alive is an amazing song. Yeah. Like, it's Jonathan Colton, right? Yeah, yeah. It's such a great tune. Delivery is fantastic. The songwriting is exceptional. That guy, he's an incredible songwriter. Yeah. What else has she done other than Portal Things? Oh, she was in Team Fortress? I'm sure a million other things, but I don't know. Left for Dead, Pacific Rim. That's fun. We need more evil robots. Yeah. Oh, good for her. She's been in like a bunch of gay independent films and supported like an LGBT gaming convention. Good for her. Cool. It's always nice when people turn out to be decent people. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy how that doesn't happen as often. Yeah. I was reading about after we talked about Movie 43 on the mini-sode last week, Mm -hmm. I was looking it up because I was curious just like how that all went down. Yeah. And it was totally like they shot the parts with, I want to say, Hugh Jackman and Naomi Watts like really early. fuck. I forgot they were in that. Yeah. They used it to like parlay other stars to like be in it. So it was a scam, basically. Yeah. The budget was $6 million and everyone hated it, but it grossed like $30 million or something like that. It happens with those things. Like some people are just really good at creating viral bullshit that makes yeah. a lot of money. And, you know, this is basically Blumhouse's whole model. Yeah, well, it's taking a chance on a bunch of cheap ones and then some of them will be hits. Yes, exactly right. That's not to say those movies are terrible. Although some of them are, but not all. But they're not taking huge chances, you know? It's a very safe business model. It's pretty ingenious. Because you just need a couple of them to work. Yeah. But related to the topic of today's episode, I inserted what we were just talking about. I get really mad when people fall for outrage marketing. Oh, same. Like, companies know what they're doing, man. They know exactly what they're doing. If you trend on Twitter, it doesn't matter if people are happy about it or mad about it. Like At all. If they're mad, you're giving them exactly what they want, giving them more exposure. Like, they don't care that people are dunking on them on Twitter. Yep. And so many of the ploys are so obvious that it's just stunning that people fall for them. This is why I will not participate in dunking culture. Because any kind of attention is exactly what the person wants. Yes. Or brand or whatever. And the moment you smack them down with some well-placed tweet or whatever, they have won. Because you have directed more people to see their stupid thing. And I feel bad about it because it's kind of had an effect where... When something actually outrageous happens, my first instinct is to be like, oh, I guess, you know, rather than (laughs) to be actually mad about it. Yeah. Anytime I see the what's trending, I feel like it should be renamed to what happened now. Yeah. Well, actually, it is in line with a bit, a segment that I proposed for the show, right? Do you remember this? Do you remember what the name of the segment was? I don't remember shit, Brian, and you should know this. So I proposed a segment for the show called Jesus Christ, Calm Down, (laughs) where we pick something, whatever it is, maybe it's a tweet or it's a person or whatever, who is making too much out of absolutely nothing and basically just say, Jesus Christ, calm down. This segment seems like a really great way for people to get mad at us. And then yes. we just pointed that it becomes a never-ending cycle of the next Jesus Christ, calm down, is people who get mad at that. That's it. You found it. Exactly right. Jesus Christ, calm down. Calm down. It's the feedback loop. 
There's definitely a big one we could do today Oh, that I just do not want to comment on because I'm fucking sick of hearing about it. This has been a four-year discourse cycle. Can I guess what it is? Sure, go ahead. It's something that is currently in the news? On Twitter, at least, which is not news. Well, I feel like if we're going to keep this in the episode, we have to say at least what the topic is, right? Yeah. Do you want to guess? Let's see. Is it something where people have misunderstood a piece of pop culture? That's a very good guess, and is most of Twitter. That sort of applies. Hmm. It's related to a big hubbub four years ago about a certain piece of media. And there was a think piece released today that has kicked it all up again. Oh. So think like strangely viral thing that makes people mad. Literally everything. Four years, I think, let's see, what year is? So that would be 2017. Mm-hmm. What happened in 2017? Do you want more hints? Yes, I need another hint. It was something that was published in a thing that you read. Oh. Oh, oh. You specifically. Clearly you're talking about Ain't It Cool News. <laughs> what do I read specifically? Uh, the New York Times, the AV Club. You were close on the first one. New York Times, the Washington Post? <laughs> no. Uh, the New Yorker? Yes. Oh, let's see. A thing in the New Yorker. Okay, this is good. Is it some Jonah Lehrer bullshit? Who? Okay, no. <laughs> Wait, no. Who's that person? He wrote this thing about the replication crisis in science. I have to make sure I'm getting this right. Yes. Okay. So he's the guy who made up a bunch of Bob Dylan quotes and someone contacted him to ask like, hey, I, I'm a huge Dylan fan. I don't recognize this quote. Like, where is it from? And he was like, oh, you know, it's like from this thing. And they checked and they were like, it's not from that thing. Sorry, can you tell me where the quote was? Anyway, long story short, he just made up a bunch of shit. I vaguely remember this. Yeah. And then got smacked down for it. And it turns out that the Dylan quotes were just the tip of the iceberg. And there was a bunch of other stuff that he was making up. Okay. Well, it's not that guy. Okay. Also, wait, what's the replication thing that you mentioned? Oh, there was this really stupid discourse about, which I think he was one of the first people to write about, about whether or not, especially in psychology, that like the whole idea of replicating results in studies, like somehow results were getting harder to replicate and that there was something kind of innately wrong with the idea of replicating results. Okay. He had some article called like, is science broken? Where the whole idea was like, maybe we shouldn't even be trying to replicate results because maybe that's a flawed standard. Why would that possibly be flawed? No, we don't need to verify. Yeah. Is there a problem with replicating things? I mean, maybe sometimes, but psychology is such a weird thing anyway Mm -hmm. with studies. I'm slightly out of my depth here in talking about this. You just need more data with that kind of thing, especially since it's so like unique and difficult to quantify. Yeah. Also with especially stuff like that, it's like, where are you getting the data from? You know, there's a very famous thing that most psychology studies are done on basically college students. Mm -hmm. And so psychology is very good at telling you what, you know, college students do and maybe not so great at telling, you know, these studies saying what other types of people do. As we all know, nobody has mental health problems after 21. They just immediately go away, which is why (laughs) I'm super normal and my brain works great. Of course. 
But yeah, like psychology has other issues. And if you're careful, for example, our past guest, Pete Etchells, is a very careful and good psychologist who is honest about what you can and can't do with studies. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people in psychology who maybe are a little less careful and maybe don't know statistics so well Mm. and are wittingly or unwittingly doing things like p-hacking and, you know, not being careful with data analysis. Sorry, did you say p-hacking? Yeah, p-hacking is where basically there's a level of kind of statistical significance that people usually call p. Okay. And it's like a signal to noise kind of thing. But the point is that you can do this thing where you say, you know, I need that number to be a certain thing. And then I'll say, we actually have a signal. We actually have a result. And sometimes people just keep analyzing data until they hit that Mm -hmm. and then just stop rather than keep going and then maybe it goes away with more data. You see what I'm saying? So they like do a hundred results and they're like, okay, we got it, but they have more stuff in the tank Mm. and they just won't analyze it because they have the result with the data they need. That's called p-hacking where you basically wittingly or unwittingly, and a lot of times people don't do this on purpose, but people will kind of manipulate their data set to manufacture a result. It's a huge problem in science. And the way to avoid it is to ahead of time say, here is what I'm going to do. And here is the data I'm going to analyze. And here's how I'm going to do it. And you commit to basically that methodology before you even start the study. And then you stick to that. And that way you can't manipulate the data because you already said what you were going to do with it. Because you have a bias. I'm pretty sure that's not what p-hacking is. I'm pretty sure p-hacking is what you did when you peed into the green tea bottle in your garage. Now, this is the third time in as many weeks, I believe, that we've discussed this. We literally just had an email chain where we should uh, (laughs) better explain things and not repeat ourselves. It was a life hack involving pee, and the life hack was just pee in a bottle. Listen, that was a softball. I could not do it. I completely understand. You were right to do it. Thank you. I'm glad you understand. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, so I still have to guess what you're talking about. So it's a New Yorker mm-hmm. article from 2017. I'm sure I'm going to know what this is when you say it, but it, nothing is coming yeah. to me right now. It was controversial because it made a lot of guys mad. Okay. I don't know. You just tell me what it is because I'm not going to guess it. Okay, so that story was Cat Person. Do you remember that? Oh, the fiction. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So that was written a while back. It went viral. It had a lot of hubbub. It was from this lady's short story collection, You Know You Want This, which honestly isn't very good. But today, Slate, I believe, released an article by a woman who was like, cat person was based on me. Oh, really? Even though I've never met this woman. So basically, the TLDR is the woman who is writing this article had dated an older man when she was in her late teens And a lot of the details from the story specifically lined up with their relationship. Mm. And then she found out that the author of the story was friends with the guy that she had dated and had kind of like gone through her social media and picked a couple of details and then didn't change them. Am I remembering the story correctly that it's sort of set up like this woman is going to be a victim, but she's the killer? No, it's sort of just like having one of those older man relationships where... Oh, I'm thinking of something else then. Yeah, where it's all consensual, but like it still feels icky. And then there's kind of a turnaround later where he calls her a whore. Oh, okay. I was thinking of something completely different. It's a completely fine short story. But anyway, so that article came out today. Did it make people mad because they're stupid? That might be a far... I mean, yes, uh, it it was, (laughs) as is most things that make people angry. I don't know. It had a big outcry from like 
men's rights activists, if I'm remembering correctly, because they were like, this is an unfair depiction because they're portraying this guy as really disgusting for doing normal stuff. This fictional story. Yeah. And so there were also a lot of presumptions about people taking this fictional story as if it was autobiographical and jumping to a lot of conclusions about the author and her experiences, blah, 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 whatever. I'm exhausted explaining this. Anyway, that article came out today and it just reignited all of the discourse of them calling the author a horrible person and that the story was never good. But then also like, oh, this woman who wrote the article is just cashing in on the fact that this got optioned for a film and like, like whatever, any possible take. And I'm just begging, begging everyone to shut the fuck up. Like the headline for that story is the most intentional clickbait I've ever seen. I don't want to dismiss this woman's experience. I do think it was shitty that the author stole this stuff and then didn't change it. But also at the same time, have you ever met a writer, writer's pick shit from real life? Yeah. Things can be fictional, but there's a basis in truth. God. Well, also, (sighs) do you know what I do when I read something that I really, really don't like? Like really don't like? Do you know what I do? Uh, Do you close it and walk away? That's correct. I shut the fuck up about it. And I'm like, well, I didn't like that. Okay, moving on. That's all you need to do. It's not that complicated. It's a work of fiction. Brian, don't you know that the rational response to that is to immediately jump to 20 conclusions about the person that wrote a piece of fiction and uh, attack them for it and question their moral character and jump to using the worst words possible to accuse them of a variety of crimes? Of course. I realize that intellectually, yes. I'm a bad person. Which is why I'm starting a one-woman campaign to cancel Ryan Johnson because I don't like Knives Out. And I think that him making Knives Out means he's probably killed someone. Oh, look, it's well documented. If you write anything about a murder or film a movie about a murder or whatever, you're a murderer. You have to have killed somebody. End of story. It's not even funny because people actually think this. And I actually saw several tweets today that were basically saying the same thing. No, come on. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, calm down. Like, it's sus if people are interested in gore or make dark media because that means they're probably just a future serial killer. This is the same bullshit that people say about violent video games. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, people like violent video games clearly mm-hmm. violent. No, fuck you. It's stupid. That's wrong. Oh, I hate that. Well, you know what? That was a good rant. Yes. To introduce our second rant episode because I enjoyed our last one. I did too. And here we are. And so we wanted to do another one. This is a relaxed fit episode because it's just you and me. We're chilling. You're about to go on your little vacay. Yep. I did post on Twitter and get some suggestions. We have 25 replies to this tweet. But before we dive into that, is there anything that comes to mind uh, <laughs> that you just want to get off your chest? Brian, you know I am boiling with rage uh-huh. at all times. <sighs> no, do you? <laughs> The outrage culture thing is like a perennial thing that I think about. Oh, every fucking day of my life. I have to struggle with it a little bit at home because Rachel will often be like, did you see this? And my first reaction is like, not because she is a sucker or anything like that, but it's like. What brain worms am I about to introduce into my skull? Yeah. And also the question I always ask is like, okay, what's the source on this? Like what actually happened? Yeah. And not just this endless game of telephone. Yeah, which is half the time, the thing that people are mad about is not even real. Like, it's not even a thing that happened. Like, someone made one tweet and then everyone was like, you've killed a man! Yeah, or it's like, there's a controversy about whatever. 
And the controversy is like two egg accounts on Twitter, which isn't even a thing anymore, Yeah, are saying stupid bullshit. And it's like, no, that's not a controversy. You just dug up some idiots saying bullshit. Any sort of people are saying headline, you know, the article is just going to be a bunch of tweets. Yes. Tweets from accounts with zero followers. Like they name searched to find these tweets. Yes. Or like keyword searched or whatever. I get that, you know, in reading Trust Me, I'm Lying, like they're just churning out as much content as possible. They're underpaid. Like the writers don't choose the headlines. The yep. website chooses headlines for the most clickable shit. And they'll change the headlines too. Just, you know, see what works. Yep. It's about retention. Oh, you know what makes me mad? Yes, go. This thing just happened. I was writing with Vernon and we were talking about a character slams a monster energy drink and then vomits the monster energy drink. This is something you read or something you wrote? Something we were writing. Okay. And I open up Twitter seconds after I type that. What is the first ad on my timeline? Monster. Monster energy. Mm -hmm. I didn't Google search it. I said it out loud, but that I don't like. You scan in my fucking Google Docs to give me recommendations? <laughs> it's pretty effy, yes. Yeah, because if that's the case, I'm about to start getting some weird shit in my ads. You know, I am anti-conspiracy theory in general, but I think that's like a real thing, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, There's nothing stopping them. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, so this would have been, let's see, 94, 95. The web was young. I remember I had a professor, actually my E&M professor, we were talking about the web and he was like, yeah, you know, your computer sends stuff back to the website. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, that's impossible. They don't get any information from you. That's crazy. He was, of course, completely right. But <laughs> I remember being incredulous that that would even be such a thing. We've traded privacy for convenience. Yes. But I want to do want to say something about this professor. <laughs> this professor, I think this was his first year at my college and he was teaching <laughs> electromagnetism, but he was deathly afraid of electric devices and <laughs> Whenever he had to do some kind of classroom demonstration, he would ask one of the students to turn it on while he stood at the other side of the room. Oh. And I think he had suffered some kind of bad shock or something like that. Did he have like the electromagnetic frequency thing that Chuck McGill has in Better Call Saul? He did not. Okay. He was just scared of electrical devices, probably because he had some trauma or something associated with it. But nevertheless, we couldn't help but see the irony of him standing on the opposite side of the room while teaching electromagnetism to <laughs> say, you know, like, oh, Brian, go, go turn on the electromagnet over there and then pour this thing out, you know, that sort of stuff. Poor buddy. I hope he's doing better <laughs> with it if he is still alive. Not a great teacher, not for that reason, but for other reasons. I think he went on to have a career in physics or whatever, but he didn't last long at that college. Bummer. Yeah. Speaking of the electromagnetic Chuck McGill thing, I was Googling that because I was curious because Vince Gilligan has like hit that topic a lot, even mm -hmm. in like the episodes of the X-Files he wrote. Mm -hmm. And I was curious just like where that came from. So I was Googling like the origin of it. And it turns out, obviously there are a lot of people who suffer with this thing, asterisk. I don't want to immediately call it a mental illness, but it's clearly... It's probably a mental illness. Yes, Anyway, there are a lot of advocacy groups for sufferers of that that point to Chuck as a positive representation of it. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a level of just feeling seen that it's in a show, but based on the events of the show and how it is portrayed, I don't see how that is particularly positive. 
Chuck is a complete a-hole in that show. I mean, again, he's right, but he's an asshole. Okay, so here's a good question. Who are the most hateable characters in media? Chuck is up there for me. Hateable? Probably Cuphead. <laughs> What'd he do? Oh, what didn't he do? He's a little asshole running around shooting things with his finger. Let's see. Who are the most honestly hateable? Yeah, Chuck is way up there. Sopranos related, but Ralph Cifaretto. Can we say based purely on character, not because of actor? Oh, yeah, of course. That's what I mean. Great. Well, yeah, that reference falls flat to me because I don't know the Sopranos. It's fine. Anybody listening, Ralph Cifaretto, fuck that guy. People seem to really hate Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother. Which one is he? He's the main dude. Played by? Josh Radner. <clears throat> okay. People seem to dislike him, but for no obvious reason. Hmm. That's a good question because I feel like they can't just be villains. Yeah, of course not. I have potentially a controversial one. Yeah, do it. Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. Yeah, he kind of sucks, right? He sucks. Like, he's just constantly fucking up in the trio. Like, Harry and Hermione are doing all the work, and then he gets all whiny and entitled about it? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And he's not smart. These people who have repeatedly saved your life? Yeah. Well, even Harry Potter himself kind of sucks. He's a little prick. Yeah. Yeah. Hermione's the only good character out of those three. Oh, when I was a kid and... Hermione and Ron got together. I was so fucking mad. I couldn't yeah. believe it. She could do so much better. She could do so much better. <sighs> oh, speaking of Harry Potter, I had an idea. Really, there's a missed opportunity to not have Snape's first name be Wesley. So it could be Wesley Snape. You should really uh, roll up to J.K. Rowling on that one. Yeah. Well, do you think she would be open to retconning any of her work? <laughs> As we all know, her favorite thing is uh, when people say things to her and then she totally, you know, apologizes and, you know, tries to learn more instead of doubling down. Yeah. Just seems cool. Just seems like a cool person. I love when people who become billionaires uh, are very relatable <laughs> and in touch with uh, other humans. Yeah. Okay, there's the obvious J.K. Rowling rant, which I'm not going to go off on here. Yeah. But, okay, here's a general rant of which this is an example. Why don't people like this just shut up? I think once you pass a certain net worth, it should auto-delete your Twitter account. Totally. If I made Harry Potter, I would fuck off to the woods and nobody would ever hear from me ever again. I'd be done. Great, you know, keep writing books or whatever. The last thing anyone wants to hear from super rich people is their opinions about stuff. And I recognize that there are some, you know, Elon Musk fans or whatever. I'm sorry, Elon Musk fans, what are you doing? I 100% agree. Also, Grimes, what are you doing? That's a very, very interesting question. Like, what is she doing? Elon Musk, is he a smart guy? I honestly can't tell. Like, I spent most of my scientific career hanging out with smart guys. They don't act like Elon Musk. You know what I mean? Not like there's a one way yeah. to act, but I'll tell you what most of the really smart people I know didn't do, which is talk about how smart they are all the time. Like, that's not something a secure, intelligent person does. In my career, I was hanging out with the, you know, some of the best scientists in the world. And they did not walk around talking about how fucking awesome they were all the mm -hmm. time. They just mm -hmm. did good work. It should be self-evident yeah. to other people. It is so tacky and frustrating when all people want to do is talk about how great they are because that same type of person will constantly shit on everyone else. That's correct. Like, I have to put others down so I feel like mommy's most special boy. 
Yep. And the very frustrating thing is that whenever, let's say, Elon Musk does something stupid, like tweet something idiotic, and then someone says, hey, that was dumb, then the fans roll in and make everybody's lives worse. Because it's this never-ending cycle of you have to be on one side or the other, which is just ridiculous. Millionaires and billionaires and companies don't need you to defend them. <laughs> yeah. At all. They don't care. You don't got to do it. They're not hurt by people saying mean things on Twitter. It's attention. The reason that people like this are tweeting is for attention. And the moment you go off on them for whatever reason, this is what we were talking about before, they win. And the only way to win is not to play. But that's exactly how I feel about Twitter. I say being on Twitter, Ingly. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, look, it's not like I'm not tweeting, but... <laughs> you say we live in a society and yet you participate in it? <laughs> All right, speaking of Twitter, let's look at some of these things people gave us as topics. Okay, yeah, we only get an allotted bitch about Twitter for five minutes every episode. Yeah. Well, the first thing I see is someone asking us to bitch about Twitter. E someone wants you to rant about The Sims. Sure. Yeah, go for it. That's a good one. The Sims is uh, a terrible game. <laughs> That's it. I'm kidding. I say this so often about every game that I obsessively play for like 500 hours, but I hate this game. The actually playing the game, it is one of the worst games ever. The AI is busted to shit and it's just, it's a miserable experience if you don't have 10 gigabytes of mods. Are you talking about Sims 4 or just Sims in general? Yeah, Sims 4. I'm not saying every Sims game was terrible, even though they kind of are. But Sims 4 especially is pretty rough and limited. And it is funny to me how mad people get about it. Because like, I'm mad about these things. I bitch about them to friends, but I'm not going to go on Twitter and respond to the official Sims 4 account. Like, why didn't you add the thing that I really wanted? What the fuck is wrong with you guys? You clearly don't care about your player base. I just spat everywhere. <laughs> I could feel it. Yeah, that's the 40X podcasting experience. Everyone, get a spray bottle, mist yourself gently with some water to get the full effect. <laughs> I think the artists who work on the game are really amazing, and I have a lot of respect for them for churning out stuff constantly. That said, why does all of it have to be so fucking ugly? I don't even know what it looks like. Hold on, let me look this up. Yeah, do it. The Sims 4. Enter. Is this what the characters look like? Yeah. Is this MTV's Total Request Live? What the <laughs> fuck is this? This is terrible. In a lot of ways, it feels really dated and just like sort of the stock style. I mean, this is why custom content exists, so you can make them not look like that. This seems like a bad 2002 movie poster. I mean, there are a bunch of movie posters in the game that look like bad 2002 movie posters. This looks like the movie poster for Scary Movie 7. <laughs> also, there's a level of like, I forget what the exact number is. If you want to pay for every single expansion pack, the base game is $60. If you buy all of them, it's like hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. Yeah, that makes sense. If I'm remembering correctly, like maybe 500. That said, I have a lot of them and most of them are broken. I'm very confused by this main cover here. There's a lot of winking. Well, yeah, because Sims are constantly woohooing. <laughs> Is that really a thing in the game? You don't know about woohooing? I do not know. Is that having sex? Yeah. So they call it in the game woohooing? Yeah. 
This is the equivalent in the newlywed game of them saying making whoopee. That's a really rough one. Maybe the worst euphemism for having sex. Making whoopee? Oh, yeah, the absolute worst. And when you hear it over and over on the newlywed game, where's the weirdest place you've ever made whoopee? Surely you know about this moment, right? The famous newlywed game moment? No. Okay. There's a very, very famous newlywed game moment. Do you know the conceit of the newlywed game? That posed a question and then the other person, like, answers it for their partner and... Right? Yeah. So one person has been asked the question ahead of time. They've written down their answer on a card and then they ask it. Then your partner is there and they ask it to the partner. Partner gives an answer and the first one then holds up their card and that was their answer. And if you match, you win a point or whatever. Sure. But there was a famous, I can't remember when exactly this was, but the question was, where's the weirdest place or the most unusual place, something like that, that you've ever made whoopee? And... I can't remember which person said it, but someone said, in the butt. (laughs) Classic moment. Wow. In the same way that the Joker was a series of small events that made Walking Phoenix into the Joker, Mm -hmm. I feel like that was your Joker NSP Twitter account moment. That was you getting (laughs) Joker-fied. It has really stayed with me, I'll tell you that. Just making Whoopi sounds like taking a shit, you know? I guess. I mean, that's on you. Well, okay. So there's like a Whoopi cushion, right? Sure. Which is farting. You could see how I could make the leap into this sounds like a euphemism for taking a shit. Okay, yes, with the whoopee cushion, I can. I just think of there's a famous old jazz standard making whoopee. This doesn't further endear me to the usage of the term now that we've thrown jazz into it. <laughs> it's clearly in the song, a sex thing. It's a great song, actually. Stacey Kent has a really awesome version of it. Saying that phrase seems like a great contraceptive. Making whoopee? Oh yeah, same with making love. Shall we make love? <laughs> Yeah, very upsetting. There's that quote from 30 Rock where uh, Liz is like, the word lovers bums me out unless it's between the words meat and pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Yeah. Have you seen Clerks? Yeah, I hate Clerks. But there is a good moment in Clerks where some guy in front of the convenience store goes, da, 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 making sex berserker. Did he just say making sex? That I really like when someone says making sex. I think it's great. Yeah. I really see the comedic influences here. Yes. All right. So that was your Sims. Mm-hmm. Great. Here's one. This one really threw me for a loop. Okay. Someone wants us to rant about tablecloths. Oh, I really liked that one. Do people hate table? Uh, clearly this person does. Oh, hold on. I'm going to read this tweet. I cannot be the only one who feels personally slighted by the existence of tablecloths and over-toasted bread products. Crumbs getting stuck in your arms over a tablecloth like tiny knives is one of the worst sensory experiences on earth, followed closely by eating shrapnel toast. But aren't those two separate things here? No, they're talking about the specific phenomena of like you're at a nice restaurant, you got a nice tablecloth, and you're eating that free basket of bread. Mm-hmm. So the crumbs are everywhere and it's not fun. I'm with this person. I agree. I have nothing else to say about it. They're just right. I, I couldn't disagree more strongly. It, it's a tablecloth. What's wrong? It protects the table. It's good to have. Like if you have a nice table, you want to put a tablecloth on it. Well, I don't care about a fucking table. I put things on it. I don't need it to look nice. Well, you don't own a fancy restaurant. You are not the owner of a fancy restaurant. If you were the owner of a fancy restaurant with fancy tables, you'd want to put a cloth on them. But doesn't it make you feel like a messy little bitch when you're getting your crumbs everywhere? You are a messy little bitch if you're getting your crumbs everywhere. (laughs) Eat better. (laughs) If you can't eat without spewing crumbs out of your gob, that's not on the restaurant. (laughs) No, I actually am very anti-cloth tablecloth. It either needs to be vinyl like in a pizza parlor or it should be brown paper so you can draw on it and they give you crayons. 
First of all, this just said tablecloths in general. It didn't say cloth tablecloths. This is true. I mean, the existence of tablecloths. Now, I will agree, at some point, people do get too precious with tablecloths, just like people get too precious with coasters, where it's like, all right, okay, here's a Jesus Christ, calm down. It's like, I don't need to put a coaster under this fucking drink if it's on some shitty marked up table. Like, calm down with the fucking coasters, all right? I'm just putting my can here. But That's fair. If you have a beat up piece of furniture, for example, our coffee table, that thing was purchased at a secondhand store for 20 bucks. Like, I'm not going to ask you to put your drink on a coaster before putting it on that coffee table. Sometimes you get people who are like, you cannot put a drink down without a coaster going underneath it. And I understand if it's like a nice piece of furniture, yes, you want to protect it. But some people really, really go way over the line with their coaster usage. I mean, anytime I'm at anyone's house, I'm immediately like, hey, do you have a coaster? Just because I don't want to be rude. It is a courtesy to ask. I completely agree. But I feel like there is a, you know, you have to gauge the level of beat upness of the furniture first, <laughs> right? Like a shitty folding table does not require a coaster. I mean, and, and it's also drink dependent, right? Like if it's something that's completely lukewarm, like a bottle of water, it's fine. If it's like mm -hmm. a sweaty condensation ice water, yeah. the rings on my desk, not that I actually care, but there are a lot of rings on my desk from sweating water. But also my coffee table has a huge black burned hole in it. So maybe I'm not one to talk about this. <laughs> Look, I'm not anti-coaster. I just think sometimes people need to chill out with it. All right. You know what? I started using coasters more once I started doing resin crafts because pretty much the easiest thing to do is coasters. And then you just wind up with a fuck ton of coasters. That makes sense. I'm staring at my one that has little swords in it and I love it very much. There are a lot of great coasters out there. We have a set of Golden Girls coasters because Rachel loves the Golden Girls. Lovely. I have a bunch of WFMU coasters. We got them. We use them. I love like weird old bar coasters in Matchbooks. Yes. That's like the pinnacle of graphic design for me. My dad has like a huge plastic Rubbermaid tub of them. They're a delight. I think they're awesome. Old barware is the best. Oh, it's the coolest. Okay, here's one. I don't think we've talked about this in a while. We definitely have talked about it as the person tweeting this discusses. Dumb internet discourse such as, is a hot dog a sandwich? I hate it. We've talked about it before. I just think those questions are conversation killers and not conversation starters. And I just have no interest in hearing answers regurgitated from Reddit. That's all. Well, yeah. And as we've talked about, it seems like that is a thing someone says it's like to try to impress someone with like, check out this mind blower of a question, baby, you know? And it's like, what are you talking about? First of all, I've heard this a thousand times. Second of all, I don't have a better answer than what you've already heard. Classification questions like that with boundary cases, you know, in science that can be interesting. If the fucking hot dog is a sandwich, is chili soup or whatever, I don't care. It's not interesting. Yeah. It really just comes down to, I don't care. If you all enjoy asking that type of question and talking about it and you have a good time, that's all it needs to be. But for me, that is not a good time. Yeah, do that with your friends. But that does bring up, actually, this is not really a rant. And I'm reluctant to talk about this, but it is relevant Go to on. Ty types of questions people ask online. I'm sure you get this, too. Everyone who is an internet personality gets this. A question that is, what's your favorite blob? And what's your favorite thing? To me, innately not an interesting question. Like, I understand why people ask it, but I have several problems with it. One is I don't have favorite anythings anymore. 
Like I have various things I like in different circumstances. We've definitely talked about this, but to me that it's just kind of a not interesting question to ask. I, you know, if people are asking me things, I'd rather have them say, what's a moment you really like in a movie rather than what's your favorite movie? One shuts down a conversation one starts a conversation. I'm going to hard disagree with you here. Really? Well, it's the intent of the question, right? It's not, you need to name a favorite and pick one. I ask, what's your favorite? So we can start talking about it. Not necessarily, I need you to chill. Like if it's going to be like pulling teeth, it's I'm literally just asking you to talk about something that we may both be interested in or not. Well, that's a good point. And I think that your take is being pedantic. Well, no, 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 because I think if you're having a conversation, an actual conversation with someone, it's fine. You mean like people asking randomly? A Q&A or something like that, people I don't know, where there's basically an opportunity to ask a question without any follow-up or discussion. The question is asked and an answer is presented. That's the thing. That's the specific circumstance. Sure. And talk about it. Then what's your favorite blah is not the kind of question I really want to get in those things. We're talking about different contexts here, so I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I think for a conversation, it's fine because then you can follow up and you can get into subtleties and talk about it a little bit. But as just a question to be asked, it's one that every time I see those, if I do a little Q&A thing, I tend to avoid them Yeah. because I'm just like, what am I going to say? Well, the other thing is my answer will be like, here's not my favorite thing, but here are 10 things of that genre that I like. And then that's just a long answer. <laughs> I think the reason that that kind of thing can be annoying for a lot of people online, as is often the case, the sheer volume of the question, Yeah. where first couple of times it's like, all right, all right. When you get asked the same question every day constantly by a million people, and you're also on record saying the answer to the question multiple places, it's sort of like, I can't blame them for asking. It's a genuine expression of interest, and it's very kind, and then trying to start a dialogue. But when... 70 people are trying to start the dialogue at all times. It's kind of like, all right, guys, all right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's coming from a great place in every case. Absolutely. It's someone who is interested and wants to know more. But, I mean, it's like being on a press junket, I imagine. Yeah. You know, you just have to say the same thing over and over and over again. And after a while, you don't want to say the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Even though any individual asking you the question is coming from a place of curiosity and probably being a fan and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's very hard, like in the context of a Q&A or something like that, it's actually very, very challenging to ask a question that is interesting, of general interest, so it's not just something that's relevant to the question asker. Mm -hmm. Or that isn't an actual question and simply a statement. Well, that's a whole other thing. Yes, that's the number one thing you shouldn't do with those things is just state something. But it's really hard to ask questions that are going to be great for the vibe. Well, and also you get exposed to the same question over and over again, but they're definitely not. It might be their first panel, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of comes with if you do Q&A type stuff, you just got to be prepared for it. And it's fine. Like, you know, everyone going there is, is again, coming from a great place. Also, anybody who's listening who's done this, don't feel bad about it. No, 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 no. Of course not. We're not saying this to dunk on you. Once again, it's one of those things with volume where you don't really see the volume. And then it's like, oh, here we go again. And to answer the question that I get the most, actually both of them, what are your horror movie recommendations? 
there's a highlight on my Instagram at ButtChamps. I got my U back. It's very exciting. Oh, you did? I did, yeah. Congratulations. It's called Horror Rex, and it has, I think, maybe a hundred horror recommendations where I do little comments about like, this one's really scary, or like, this one's really hardcore, or this one doesn't have jump scares. Go there, please. I love that you want to know. I love that you're asking. I'm excited for you to watch more stuff, but I have all of them there, and I literally do not remember half of these movies. So it's a resource. The second one is what's the keyboard you would recommend to people who want like an entry-level keyboard for a good price. It's spelled D-I-E-R-Y-A. I've mentioned it on the show before. It's the diarrhea keyboard. <laughs> DK63, 60% keyboard with dedicated arrow keys, wireless, wired, mechanical gaming, computer keyboard, true RGB, LED, backlit, Bluetooth, 5.1 programmable end key rollover for Windows and Mac brown switch. If you pulled out a spray bottle to spray yourself for the 4DX cinema experience, do that again because I just spat everywhere once more. That is the keyboard. It's Bluetooth. It has RGB. It's 52 bucks, which is the cheapest you're going to get for a keyboard this good. Go find some caps for it. Go nuts. Brown Switch is great for a starter. If you're a gamer, get blues. If you want something quiet because you're in an office, get reds. That is the keyboard that I recommend you get. All right. Now it's on record. It's been on record for a long time. <laughs> Finally, you said it. All right, here's another one. Rant about your most hated musician and or band. The first one that came to mind is The Shins. And I say this as somebody who used to really, really like The Shins. Mm -hmm. I can't stand it now. It's so grating to me. By the way, if you didn't at one time like the artist you hate the most, you don't really hate them. I think that's fair. And I also think the things that I like the most media-wise are things that I used to hate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, the Broken Bells is the better offshoot of the shins. It's just like better in every possible way with Yorma Tacones from Lonely Island's brother. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I got a lot of musical talent. I love their music. It's super fun and like spacey. What do you hate about the shins? I don't really know the shins at all. Really? Uh, it's just a specific moment of late 90s, early 2000s tweeness that I don't fuck with. Mm hmm also, like, listen, I love a lot of music where the lead singer has a very annoying voice, i.e. Neutral Milk Hotel and the Decemberists, mm -hmm. but I just can't stand the main dude's voice in the shins specifically. <laughs> also, I don't like the Postal Service, but we've talked about this. Boo. Yes, I do like the Postal Service. I mean, for me, the obvious answer is Billy Joel. I'm well on record about hating Billy Joel. I figured that one would be it. What else new do I have to say? Billy Joel just sucks. He's terrible. <laughs> The music is so calculated and irritating that it bugs me. I, again, growing up, loved Billy Joel for the longest time, which is his fake doo-wop song. It was mm -hmm. like my favorite thing for a while. And now, like, the guy's got talent. It's undeniable. Certainly, he's delivering something that a lot of people really like. But to me, it all just feels like corporate bullshit. I used to really like Billy Joel just because I got mommed into it because my mom's from Jersey and is, of course, a big Billy Joel fan. Well, 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 excuse me. Hold up. Because if you're from New Jersey, you should not be a big Billy Joel fan because Billy Joel is from Long Island and Long Island sucks and everyone in New Jersey knows it. <laughs> also, other things that suck include Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Maryland, any state that borders New Jersey sucks. I need you to list every state to make it fair. You're right. Every state in general sucks. It's not New Jersey. Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas... I mean, uh, you're not wrong. California. <laughs> I don't remember. Delaware in particular really sucks, but just because there's nothing there. Just do 50 so you can offend people in every state. 
Yeah. I'm not going to list all the states, but they're all terrible. <laughs> but Long Island in particular is, oh man, obviously it's very similar to New Jersey in a lot of ways. There's a lot of the same demographics as New Jersey because it's a suburb of New York. Um, but I have to say some of my worst experiences as a human have been on Long Island. It's just every time you go there, people drive like monsters. They're complete a-holes about nearly everything. Mm -hmm. The LIE is always jammed up and it's just a terrible highway. I've never been out to fucking Montauk or the Hamptons or that shit. Just no interest in rich Long Island, which sounds completely awful because it sounds like a bunch of privileged jerks. Long Island is full of you know, generously what I would describe as monsters. And I have no interest in being associated with it or being associated with anyone who is associated with it. And that includes Billy Joel, who was one of the most famous Long Islanders, just not interested in his music. Even if he wasn't from Long Island, I would hate it because it just feels like calculated corporate pseudo rock, not interesting and nothing I want to listen to ever again. When I was in high school, they did the surveys for, you know, answers they might put in the yearbook next to your picture of like different questions. Like, what was the most fun thing you did over the summer? Mm -hmm. One of them was, what was your hidden talent? And we were in like our computer class, which was a real thing. And I was like, I don't pick any of these. Like, I'm just going to give some bullshit answers. Like my friend did the plot of Mulan for what they did over the summer. And the what was your hidden talent? I was just like, I know all the words to We Didn't Start the Fire. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, guess what ended up in the yearbook? Really? Uh, yeah. Did you actually? Yeah. We learned it when I was in middle school, our middle school history class with Mr. Harkness. Shout out to Mr. Harkness if you're still alive. That guy was awesome. But we could get extra credit if we learned all the words too, we didn't start the fire. And actually, because it's like mostly, if I recall correctly, in chronological order, it actually helped me on like a lot of tests because I would be like, oh, this was before this, this was later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I got that extra credit and then I just retained that information. Well, that's great. But counterpoint, <laughs> we didn't start the fire completely sucks. I mean, really, possibly one of the worst songs of all time. Like, it's just a list of names and things that happen, not even in an interesting way. There's no melody. It's not catchy. And there's no commentary on it. The, the fire? What's the fucking fire in this song? Things happening? Like, <laughs> tell me what the fire means. There's no, there's no content in it. It's just a list of things that happen without any discussion of what what is the fire you didn't start? It, it makes absolutely no sense. It's not even a list of like, there's no theme to the stuff listed in that song, right? Yeah, it's just shit that happens. It's just a bunch of random 20th century shit. And if you're going to write a song about we didn't start the fire, right, then you should have some kind of thematic element in it other than just a list of things that happened. And then we didn't cause these things to happen. No further commentary. Yeah, there's no content in that song. Also, write like a hook, maybe, for that song. <laughs> like something that's catchy or interesting, not just listing the things. Even the chorus, it's barely a hook. I guess technically that's the hook to the song. The chorus is truly the weakest part of the song. It really is. It's a terrible, terrible hook. And then the other part of the song is just a list of random things. It's, uh, uh, I cannot express my frustration at that song in particular, even when it came out, I was like, this is awful. And I was just a kid then. I also hate 
the uh, trend of doing we didn't start the fire, but with current events now. Oh, yeah, that's just terrible. That's phoned in. That's phoned the fuck in. Yeah, I, I mean, what are, you, what are you saying? By the way, speaking of phoning it in, welcome to Leighton Night with Brian Wecht. Oh, yeah. That other voice is Brian Wecht. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. That's Leighton Gray. Hi. All right. Anyway, continue. In the pantheon of terrible Billy Joel songs, We Didn't Start the Fire is number one worst. You don't think it's Uptown Girl? No. Uptown Girl at least has, like, a melody. I mean, it's dumb. Yeah, I like the little, uh, you know, it's fine. It's got a hook, at least, to it. But We Didn't Start the Fire barely even qualifies as a song to me. Uptown Girl is much, much better. And Uptown Girl still sucks. Mm. What other songs are you massively annoyed by that you never need to hear again? Billy Joel-wise? No, any song. I'm going to say 90% of Christmas songs. I hate almost all of them. We've talked about this before as literally everything we say on the show, but I cannot stand Christmas music. Yeah, fair enough. I love it. What songs do I not need to hear again? Okay, this is definitely a hot take. I am not interested in the Rolling Stones. Same, yeah. People love them. Great. I have never heard a Rolling Stones song where I've been like, yes, awesome. I just don't really care about it. And like, I get it. There's Sympathy for the Devil and I Can't Get No Satisfaction, all classics. Eh, whatever. Not interesting. I would rather hear the Devo version of I Can't Get No Satisfaction any day. <laughs> of course you would. That's the most Brian sentence you've ever said. I challenge anyone who says that the original version of I Can't Get No Satisfaction is better than the Devo cover. It's just wrong. The Devo cover is much, much better. <laughs> this is my other hot take. I never want to hear Bohemian Rhapsody ever again. I think it's a great song. It's a really masterfully constructed song. But in terms of songs, I have heard so many. You know what? Piano Man, also on that list, if we're going for the Joel. Obviously, Piano Man is especially awful. And by the way, if you're a piano player, you hate it even more. Because every time you sit down at the piano, someone's like, play piano, man. It's fucking terrible. Oh, now that we've been going back out into public and I've like been in a few lifts and stores, I forgot the terror of being subjected to the radio. Mm -hmm. A thing I avoid at all costs. And just, guys, why we got to play Katy Perry songs all the time? Why are oh, you going well. to expose me to this? Then don't come over to my house because I have a little Katy Perry fan that I live with Oof. who is very excited about Katy Perry. You know what? I will say I kissed a girl as a banger. Audrey loves Roar by Katy Perry. <sighs> That's the worst one for me. It's not a good one. And it has really, really bad rhymes. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't argue with the production on that style of pop hit. Mm -hmm. It's really solid. They know what they're doing. But the lyric writing is dire. <laughs> When you're rhyming the word with the same word, that's the one that always gets me. The one in Roar that I hate every time it comes up is I went from zero to my own hero. Where I'm just like, it's the most obvious, stupid rhyme. That's very clunky. Also, okay, this really confused me. In California Girls, I thought I was mishearing it. But at some point, Snoop Dogg definitely says bikinis, martinis, zucchinis. What? No way. Look it up. No fucking way. He says zucchinis. What, what the fuck? Told you. <laughs> oh. Oh. Am I wrong? No, you're completely correct. Right. You're right. So what the fuck is going on with that? Does that mean dicks? Does it just mean dicks? Oh. Or does Snoop Dogg think that zucchinis are 
a primary export of Californian agriculture. You know what? He's Snoop Dogg. He can think whatever he wants about various vegetables. He definitely can. But in this whole weird song about how hot California girls are and how great they are, and we're talking about Daisy Dukes, bikinis on top, and sand to my stilettos and everything, and martinis, to throw in a zucchini in there, you got to admit, it's kind of a left turn. And yeah, I can't say I'm against it, but the first few times I was like, oh, that's like some luxury car that I'm not hearing correctly, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, a zucchini or something. And what the fuck? No, he just says zucchinis. I'm going to argue that there should be more vegetable representation in songs. Well, especially in songs about California, which is one of, mm -hmm. you know, our country's big agricultural sources. Yeah, no joke about the terrible rhymes in this. And live on the beach. I'm okay. I won't play. I love the Bay, just like I love LA. This feels like poems I wrote when I was 10. Well, that's the Snoop section too, right? Of that song. Well, I'm sorry, Snoop. I love you. He don't miss that video where he's, I forget which talk show it is. I think they're talking about Drake. The context doesn't matter because I always throw it out. Drake is another artist who I do not care about literally at no. all. Did Drake do started from the bottom? Is that a Drake song? I don't know. I had an NSP tweet probably about six years ago, which just said, does Drake know he is named after a duck that I really liked and no one cared about? <sighs> All right. Well, I don't think we covered any new ground, but uh, words were said. It was fun. I'm having fun. We should do some segments. I'm having a good time. Yeah. Oh, good. Because I didn't prepare. <laughs> well, that's okay. Because I have something really exciting this week for our first segment. Now, as everybody knows, the first segment we do on the show every week is called What's Poppin'? And it's our pop culture recommendation segment where we talk about uh, something that's a book or a movie or a video game or whatever, some piece of pop culture or occasionally high culture that we've experienced recently that we like. And Leighton, I don't know if you know this, but this segment has a very interesting theme song that I'm not sure you've ever actually heard before. Brian, are we really doing this? I don't know what you're talking about. Now, the, the theme song for What's Poppin' is something that I wrote it a while ago, and I'm still pretty, pretty proud of it. I got to say, I'm pretty pleased with myself. Hey, you know how we talked earlier about how people who are actually smart don't brag about how smart they are and how musicians who are actually good don't brag about how good their music is? No, I don't remember that. Anyway, the thing about What's Poppin' is that it's a stunning melange of various stylistic influences. You've got some Europop in there. You've got some like acoustic guitar rock. You've got some shoegaze. You know, you've got some a little bit of jam band influence in there. Some early like 1920s, 1930s kind of Fletcher Henderson era big band stuff. That's like a substratum kind of thing, but it's definitely, definitely in there. There's a very subtle tuba part, which uh, many people realize was carrying the bass in some of those early big bands. That's in there in the What's Poppin' theme, although it's a little bit hard to hear. Big influence also from some of the later big bands like the Ellington stuff in the 40s and Jesus Christ, 50s. are you still talking? I took off uh, my headphones. You know, the, the amazing thing about Ellington and Strayhorn together, I really should say, because they collaborated seamlessly on most of their stuff, they would write for the individuals in the band. And I feel like that's what I kind of did with this What's Poppin' theme. I wrote for the individuals that I imagine are, you know, kind of in the universe of this podcast. And each little part in the What's Poppin' theme represents some part of our personalities. And yes, I'm including you in this, Layden, that it would maybe be carrying the different <laughs> melodic or rhythmical elements. So as long as you're ready, and you can tell me if you're not, I'm going to play the theme song here. I'm ready. All right. 
Click. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Unclick. All right. What did you think? That sucked. Cool. What's poppin'? <laughs> What's poppin' for me is like a genre of YouTube video meme that all revolves around the Sigma male grind set. <laughs> Are you familiar with the concept of Sigma males? No. Is this like a Six Sigma thing? No, it's the rarest male type. <laughs> is this a joke? Sort of. <laughs> Not okay. really, though. So, you know, there's alpha males and betas and gammas and whatever. Well, a uh, Sigma... Let me assure you that I'm familiar with alpha males, having been beaten up by them. <laughs> my, my wife. Well, see, the alphas are old news. It's all about the Sigma males. They're the most unique type of male. They're the lone wolf. They don't follow trends. But the Sigma male grind set, I guess saying what the meme format is kind of ruins it. I'll put it in the Zencaster chat. There you go. For anybody following along at home, this video is called Sigma Heisenberg's grind set. All right, go. Three, two, one, go. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the basis for another video, which is Hector Salamanca's grind set, which is my favorite one and the one that I specifically wanted to recommend. This is very funny. Yeah. Because at first I'm like, is this some MRA bullshit? But then it's clearly comedy. Well, it is when people are serious about it. And let me assure you, there are a ton of videos that are serious about it on YouTube, but people memed it, which makes it automatically better. So that's one I actually like. There's good comedic timing in some of those, which I appreciate. Yeah. But now when I play Animal Crossing and I run around farming rare beetles in the middle of the night, I just keep thinking Sigma male grind set, Sigma male grind set. I'm on my Sigma male grind set. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Anyway, Brian, uh, what's popping? What's popping for me this week is, so I've talked at length about one of my favorite comedy things, The Best Show, and they have a Patreon-only uh kind of mini series they've been doing called so far where they go through all the members of Crosby stills Nash and young output from the late sixties through the present, like every solo album, every group album, every, everything that they've done. And so far it's 11 parts and each episode is like two hours long. I'm five or so episodes into it, which means I've just like gotten into the eighties So the thing is, I don't give a single shit about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. That music just does absolutely nothing for me. Again, it's one of these things, like, people love Neil Young. Love Neil Young. I don't really care. Like, I've never heard a Neil Young song where I've really just, like, flipped out over it. It's just a personal preference. It's not that I think he's awful or anything. Just doesn't really do anything for me. But what I like about this is these guys are very smart and very funny. They know a lot about music. And I feel like it is a kind of corner of music that it's a real black box to me. It's a total blind spot. Mm. And going through it and hearing these guys, some of whom know a lot about this stuff, talk about it in an intelligent way. I've actually been learning a lot about some music that is very important to a lot of people that I really don't know anything about. That's fun. Yeah, it's really interesting. These guys are just the best. Tom Sharpling's the main dude, and then he has a bunch of other people along with him to Jason Gore, Mike Lisk, and Pat Byrne. And they're all individually great too. But to get it, you go to The Best Show, go to their Patreon, and subscribe. I think at any level, but don't quote me on that. And then look for So Far. So Far, which is also the name of a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young album. It's been really fun, and I've been enjoying it. And there's also 
I got to say, I listen to some of these albums and I'm just like, whatever, not interesting, but it's fun to learn about. All right. That's what's popping. Now we will move on to our final segment, which is called Peaches and Lemons, which is three-part gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. So the theme song is here. All right, Brian, lemon. My lemon is that I have one pair of exercise shorts that are kind of ripped. Mm. And every time I try to buy a pair, they're always terrible for some reason. And I hate them. And then I keep going back to this ripped pair of shorts. It's like the lining is ripped. If you looked at them from the outside, they look perfectly fine. But they're kind of falling apart. You know, like to buy exercise shorts for, I don't know what it is in the women's section, but at least the men's section, they're either these like way too long things or way too short. Mm-hmm. And I just want something that's like mid thigh. Yeah. Not that's down below my knees or just below the crotch. Like I want it a reasonable length and I want them to have fucking pockets. I hate exercise shorts without pockets. And not the cheat pocket where it's like, I can't fit anything in here. That's what the pair of shorts I have right now has. And it sucks. It's terrible. I just want a decent pair of shorts. I feel like I also have the same problem with exercise shorts. I've had the same pair of Nike shorts since I was 12 Mm -hmm. and I still wear them and they're pretty great, but now they're getting kind of small. But a thing that really bugs me about exercise shorts for women is that a lot of them have like built-in underwear. Yeah, the worst. Why? Why? Why would you do it? I fucking hate it. It's just a sweat catch. Like, my God. And it's never comfortable. No. The little elastic digs into you. Yep. I actually am currently wearing, for Christmas, a friend gifted me a pair of the A24 branded basketball shorts, <laughs> which is my favorite article of clothing. And even a small is way too big for me. But let me tell you, this summer... It's my go-to short. Like, they're so huge and so, like, airy. Mm -hmm. It's perfect for sleeping, perfect for walking around. It's not too short. I don't got to keep pulling the leg sleeves down. What do you call uh, leg sleeves? Sure. Uh, Whatever those are. I know what you mean. Legs. No, it's the leg sleeves. The part that goes over the leg. Yeah. What do you call half of a pair of pants? Pant leg, right? I guess that's true. I think it should be pants sleeves. (laughs) You know what? I'm not going to disagree with you. But yeah, shorts, we've talked about this. Anytime I put on a pair of shorts, I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what to wear with these. I always feel like I fuck it up and then look weird. And I just never know what to do. I'm completely out of my elements when I wear anything but with exercise shorts, I know what to wear. Exercise clothes. Anything else feels like I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. There was a brief, beautiful period about... 10 years ago when cargo shorts were amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you could just wear cargo shorts. It was so great. Now I recognize that cargo shorts are not popular mm-hmm. and I probably wouldn't wear them now, but I felt like that was a simpler time. And now I'm just confused. I say this as a former chronic cargo short wearer. I got my phone, you know, will kick me the like nine years ago today, which I mm-hmm. absolutely hate. But one of them was me taking a picture of my cargo short haul. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very cute yeah sure is if anybody listening has good recommendations for like gym shorts that don't suck and additionally athletic or yoga leggings that don't suction to your crotch that would be great to know thank you yeah. well also the other thing with athletic shorts is i hate wearing like 
I don't want to wear a fucking sports team thing. When you wear a thing with a sports team on it, someone may talk to you about sports, which is my worst nightmare. Oh, I learned that real quick. Oh. My mom gave me a Raiders snapback that I loved when I was in college. It was my favorite. Oh, wow. Well, that's really playing with fire. The first time I came to LA, I immediately regretted it and I've never worn it since. Yeah. Well, especially if you're in California, like there's a whole thing with the Raiders. But yeah, like I don't know anything about sports. And especially when you're a dude, people will try to talk to you about sports anyway. And then when you're like, I don't know anything about that, they get very confused. But yeah, I don't know what to do with shorts. I hate all of the branding. About, I don't know, a year ago, I attempted to buy a new pair of shorts, went into some department store, tried on one pair. I, I just felt the weight of the world crushing down on my shoulders. I hated it so much. I just left. I love clothes. I love finding cute clothes. I absolutely hate shopping in person for clothes and putting them on. Yep. It's such a chore and also a great way to feel bad about yourself. Yes. Well, especially in like a department store where you have to like get someone to open up a fitting room to try it on. Ugh. I don't want to be anywhere close to naked even if I'm in a little stall. Like, no, no, no. thank you. Yeah. I'm good. Just awful. Anyway, what's your lemon? Uh, uh, Actually, you know what? It is still a follow-up for a different thing. So obviously I broke my window. The window has not been fixed for a while because I just haven't gotten around to emailing property management. Finally did. They're sending a guy supposedly right now at 2.30 oh, yeah, that's right. to come measure it to get a replacement. But because I as the tenant caused the damage, I must pay for the window mm -hmm. replacement. That said, I'm currently without a fridge or freezer uh, and I'm waiting for them to like come get it. His door completely broken off, had to clean everything out. It was a nightmare. My apartment smelled like rotting meat. It's great. And at least they will cover a new fridge. And my dearest hope, because the model I have is discontinued, my dearest hope is they get me one that has a water dispenser. I just want the cold water dispenser, please. What a luxury. Yeah. Anyway, apartment troubles, that's my love. But now I'm super on edge. Like I've been on edge all day. Like what if the guy's early? What if the guy's late? When's he coming? When do I need to be around? I've got meetings. I've got record. Like when's he going to come? I hate the anxiety of knowing somebody's going to come, but it'll lose time. I need to know exactly. It's the worst. Exactly when you're going to be here. That's what I want. But that's my problem. That's a control and anxiety problem. I could totally feel that when it's just like, I just want to go about my day. I don't this 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. window. Yes. Oh, the window, especially with like deliveries. Yeah. Nah. All right. Peaches. Peaches. I'll blast through mine. Number one, we have been uh, very productive recently with this podcast. We're way ahead of the game here because I'm going on vacation next week. And it's nice to like be a few weeks ahead, like to actually, you know, have some episodes recorded well in advance rather than we never do it the last minute, but... But we kind of got a little close sometimes, and I feel bad for what we put Jarek through. And Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to be a little ahead here. It feels good. Yeah. Number two, we kept Audrey out of camp yesterday because they were going to, like, an indoor thing, and I don't want her indoors. Oof. It was like a field trip. And instead, we went to first time Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Hollywood. Ooh. And it was pretty fun. It was pretty great. There's some... Really beautiful stuff there. Did you see some peacocks? We did see some peacocks. Yes, we did. Very exciting. And of course, Audrey was like, ah, you know, peacock. <laughs> like anytime a child sees a living thing, they go insane. But yeah, that we saw a bunch of famous people's graves. That's always fun. And it's just, you know, it's a beautiful cemetery. It's not like especially interesting, but 
it was Audrey's first time in a cemetery, and it was nice to like walk around with her. Really? Yeah. Did she ask stuff about death and whatnot? Uh, nonstop. Daddy, when do you think you're going to die? When you die, <laughs> what do you want me to do with you? Do you want to be here? What about over here? You would look nice in this plot. Do you think there's someone in this really, really tiny one? No, honey, that's just a plaque. Oh, because they'd have to be really small to fit in there. How do you think this person died? Is that person crying because someone died? Like, yeah, there are a lot of questions. wow. I love it. Yeah, nonstop questions. There's actually a really great Father John Misty song, uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery Sings, that's about fucking at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. (laughs) I did try to explain some of the... The symbolism, I was like, okay, well, this honey, this is a star of David. That means this person was Jewish. And of course, then that led to five minutes of, was this person Jewish? Was this person Jewish? Was this person Jewish? Was this person Jewish? And I was like, okay, honey, we don't have to ask if everybody was Jewish. But yes, also, yes, everybody over here was Jewish. And so we had to explain some of the symbolism, crosses, star of David, various other things. So Mm, That's a fun little outing. Yep. I love that place. I love concerts there and shows. It's just a good vibe. Yeah, I would definitely go back. My third peach is Audrey and I are doing a little science experiment together. We're growing some bacteria in a Petri dish. And we look at it every night after dinner and see what it looks like. And we're two days in and so far it doesn't look like anything, but hopefully something will happen. That's wild because I do the same thing at home uh, (laughs) when I leave an inch of coffee in a cup on my balcony for a couple of days. (laughs) Very interesting results. Yeah. What are your peaches? My first peach is just big old shout out to any form of breakfast sandwich with sausage, egg, and cheese, Uh specifically McDonald's sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddle. My God, McGriddles are the greatest. It shouldn't work. It does. I just love that breakfast sausage has such a distinctly sausage-y. You know what I'm talking about? There's just like a nice little like you eat a breakfast sausage and you're like, yeah, I'm going to die young. Uh Mm-hmm. So that's number one, just big ups. Number two is I somehow found the energy to like do a bunch of things that I've been putting off yesterday. Nice. After doing them, I did not feel better, but at least they are done. So there's that. My third peach is also late night related that I'm working on designing some enamel pins. So if anybody wants enamel pins, those will be a thing in the near future. It's exciting. Yeah. They're going to be cute. Cool. That's it. Well, this was a fun and pretty loose episode. Yeah, I'm vibing. And we finished before my man is here. Amazing. But now I feel like I'm going to be waiting an additional hour on edge. So we'll see. Well, good luck with your window. Thank you. May it continue to keep things out. (laughs) Yeah, I would love a working window in the summer. You know, being nice. Anyway, folks, I hope all you out there have solid windows and not holes or holes. Holes are fine. That you're vibing, thriving, and surviving, and that you, as always, stay safe and come hard. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.